Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. The only one that's making your money is you. So hold on. Hello, everybody. How y'all doing out there? Um, this is Midnight Rain coming at you from the Bitcoin Podcast Network. We got a program lined up for you guys that is just really going to... It's going to tickle the taint of your soul. Um, I'm kidding. I don't even know where that came from. I, I apologize. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode... <laughs> 284 of uh, the Bitcoin podcast, 284. We're getting so close to 365. Like mm. I feel like there's milestones like in the a, wake. It's like it's like a year away. Uh, it's 52 plus 52. It's a little over a year, right? I don't know. I don't we know how to get, do math. We can get gangsta and just start throwing episodes out and get there in a year. I don't know. <laughs> Let's do 30 10-minute episodes in a just row. Just to get to it in no, a year? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's a so we can be like those people that are like episode two thousand seven hundred and thirty-five, and I'm like, yeah, wait, at, at <laughs> what been point a, do you make seasons? You've been out for a seasons? month, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like you should make make seasons at that point. But anyways, uh, so welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. If you're unfamiliar uh, and this is your first time listening, I'm the host that talks first. D, I'm the host that talks every other time, Doctor Corey Petty. That's right. That's absolutely right. How do you talk first? Um, I guess you do introduce us, so you talk first. Yeah, I talk first. I mean, it was a natural progression, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so before we hop into you know what people are going to listen to, which is cryptocurrency media that tickles your fancy, how was your week, man? Oh man, busy, really busy. Um, I feel like we say that every week. We're turning it into it, adults. It doesn't, it's getting it doesn't, ugly. Like it never. It doesn't end, dude. Like every time I try and like complete a task, <laughs> every time I complete something, there's like forty other things that are like, "Hey, guy, can you do that?" I'm like, "I guess. I guess that's. I guess that's what I can do." And so I just keep keep chugging along. And then uh, I recently busy. read. I recently read the way to stop saying that you're busy, busy is I didn't read it. I actually watched a 15 minute YouTube video on the philosophy of Seneca about time. Welcome to millennials. Like I read this thing, which means I saw a headline and I kind of watched a video. uh, That's absolutely right. Um, But get at my Kindle library. If you want to question my reading skills, 
easily above 10th grade. Easy. <laughs> uh, so it said something about along the lines of you have to give yourself short-term expectancy. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And it was like, you know, give yourself something to look forward to with each task you complete. And slowly you'll understand, you'll start to see that you're making yourself highly effective at completing tasks and giving yourself more time to expect these things that give you, you know, small snippets of joy. And I was like, huh. So you just kind of kind of meter your expectancy with certain things going into them. I actually thought I actually kind of bought into it. That being said. How was your week? My week was, it was, uh, it was great. Started another new project after last week. I was in Baltimore this week. I was in Pittsburgh, the land of the mountains or hills, I guess. I had no idea it was so hilly over here, but I guess I should have known. And I'm scared of the winter because I'm from Texas and I'm scared I'm going to die, quite honestly, because I don't know how to drive in what in those kind of weather conditions. No, it's, that's not that's not an exaggeration. Most people in Texas, when the weather goes bad, um, they just like either slam on the brakes or hit the gas as hard as possible and turn the wheel. It's there's no there's yeah. no in between. There's no proper yeah. slick road driving experience in Texas. Like my client is deep in the hills and I'm supremely afraid of death. I'm not going to lie to you. Like one morning I feel like I'm going to hit a patch of ice and I'm going to lose control and slam into a fucking bus and there's lots of them. So I hope I'm not like jinxing myself, but I'm really nervous about that. But anyways, uh, let's talk about crypto on a lighter lighter note. Let's talk about cryptocurrency. Uh, So or or things that cryptocurrency can enable. So we had a small conversation right before the show started about the idea of a micro community. And like, how is that different than a nano community or a DECA community? Like how (laughs) this is something that I. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like this is what I'm most passionate about these days. Um, is yeah. the concept of building infrastructure that enables the concept of what I call micro communities. Right? So what's a micro community? Um, as it stands today, I would call a micro community like... Um, a local brewers club in your city, um, an obscure subreddit that you contribute to and read. Um, our our podcast community, the TV the TVPN podcast community, the people who contribute to the conversation that happens in our Slack and tweet us and help us out and feed us news and even talk amongst themselves inside the Slack and. What currently I say is missing from the existence of micro communities today, which I think exacerbates the problems with today's micro communities, is economies, right? Mm -hmm. There's no there's no micro economy in micro communities that exist today. Like Reddit blew up; it allowed you to participate in communities about things that you cared about 
but weren't necessarily local to you. And so you can contribute content to them and you'd get feedback from real individuals who were knowledgeable with that subject or wanted to learn and karma associated with that content and so on and so forth. And it was awesome, right? But what did you do from there, right? Like there's not there's nothing much else from some internet points and a dopamine hit of saying people like what I have to say. That's it. And then when you build the internet out in such a way in which that's all you have, you can take advantage of those types of things in mm-hmm. a lot of ways that are really, really bad. So like, like there's, there's no real community. It's just people talking, earning fake internet points and the value associated with those who contribute good content to those things goes to the owner of the platform. Like, I don't, I don't know. Right. And mm-hmm. so what I, what I would like to happen, and I think blockchain is a good inroad to doing this is to enable micro economies as a part of these micro communities. Um, so that, as you contribute to any given community, if it's valuable within the context of that community, you get some type of value back in a way, in a value that you can take and move it to something else and make it actionable in your life. Right? Dude. I, I can't take I can't take Reddit karma and buy groceries. You can't. You can't do that unless you're extremely savvy. Uh, but you realize, sell like, sell your karma to someone, sell your account to someone, and give them the clout that you. Yeah, have. it's like you got to go through these. Like, there's certain situations situations where that's the case, right? Like, uh, I'd say um, video games have monetized the ability to build something you can sell. Like they, they kind of like made these strange side paths to you know get around the fact that there is no infrastructure for microeconomies mm-hmm. but like imagine if there were right and, 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 and well, like it's like here, here's an issue um what's the what's the likelihood that you start a hobby and that hobby becomes um, like gra- gradually becomes your main source of revenue and how you pay your bills. Um, I'd say the likelihood is not high. I'd say it's just as likely as having a, um, I don't know, just, just as likely as making maybe a minor league. Why? Minor league sports team. Why is that? I'd say that would be the probability. Uh, why is that? Um, because if it becomes your main source of income for your livelihood, that entitles that you have to have some sort of aspects of uh, a business involved with it. Or, yeah, you do. There's no way around that, right? So in successful businesses, I'll tell you, if 100 start this year, only one will be left next year. And them's just the breaks. I think, right? I so, think the majority of the reason or a good portion of the reason is that you need to be an expert in it in order to justify leaving whatever the hell you're doing now to spend the time requisite to make money, enough money 
to support yourself doing whatever that hobby is. 10,000 hours, baby. This has been a long-ass commercial for Outliers. Go get that book. <laughs> yeah, but like, think about that, we right? Out. There, is, there is no um, incremental contribution and payout in any community whatsoever. I can't, I can't. I actually, Court. What? Go ahead. Why? Well, I, I, I was, I, I, okay, you go first. I can't slowly but surely become part of a community, contribute more and more to it, and and get compensated in some way, shape, or form gradually as I do that type of thing. And how do humans live? Like humans, humans have multiple, in my opinion, they have multiple things that they're interested in and contribute to. And they'd contribute to those things more if they helped pay the bills. Eventually, they'd find something they're passionate in and contribute a good portion of their of their time and 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 wisdom to mm. build a skill and then build a life out of that but like right now you basically have one choice you you do one thing you get paid for it and then you do extra shit in your off time and hope that that fulfills you i have two two things to add to this and the first thing is that i think that earnest income like earnest money and I think it is a return on the compound value that you introduce to others' lives. So I do think that if you reach one of those points where your hobby now becomes your lifestyle um, within your community, your micro community, um, it's because the people that enjoyed the hobby or the way you presented it or what you did for them, it added true value to their lives that extended out more than money, which is why they're so graciously willing to give it back to you. Right. I think that is one thing. I think the other thing is um, you're talking about a digital Kiwanis club. What does that I mean? That's that's Kiwanis. You never heard of Kiwanis? No. So it's usually around like military towns, I think. But Kiwanis club is like it's this club where um, men go to like do things for the community. Um like you know, it, it was Masons? random stuff when or I was a kid. Mm, kind of, sort of, but I mean, you can Google it. It, it. Like they build tree houses and stuff for kids. They do food drives. They they just do stuff for the community. And even as a kid, they plant that seed and it's like, hey, if you do this list of things, you can become a Kiwanis Club member and you get this badge and you get to tell people you're in the Kiwanis Club and it adds value to your social existence because people know that you're a good, earnest person because you're in the Kiwanis Club. Um, and it's very similar to Boy Scouts. It's like the Boy Scouts usually is involved with the Kiwanis Club, right? It, 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 was, it were these micro, like you said, it was these meat space micro communities that were involved with doing good. And in that good, they would get donations and funding. And, you know, there was the Kiwanis Club where veterans could go to just chill with other veterans yeah but what if what if we expanded um, the idea of money and brought it into the concept of social value within a community right like right now you need to be in the upper echelon of any given community to potentially make any money from contributing to it it should be a better gradual scale mm -hmm. so that that uh, it allows people to spend 
to have incentives to spend more time on the things they really love doing because they can sustain themselves in the process of doing that. That doesn't exist today. The barrier of entry of contributing to the thing that you love is really hard unless you've spent your entire life doing it because you need to be in the upper echelons of that community to, to, to make money from it. Otherwise, you're just having a hobby and you're interested. So I guess what we're, what we're trying to get to, the punchline-wise, is like how does crypto, imp- uh, I don't know, on how does crypto um, stimulate a microeconomy? You know, how, what, what if a non-fungible token served as your Kiwanis badge? I think this is something that we talked about in today's interview. There's a lot of things that I think crypto can do to enable... Va- like social value like because because in in essence in, in my opinion the whole innovation of blockchain and these networks is digi- like is like real digital scarcity you're able to create a digital scarcity for a given micro community and then that's passed around within that micro community based on what that community considers valuable. Mm -hmm. And from there, because of standardizations and the ability to transfer ownership, something valuable in one community versus something valuable in a different community can have a natural uh, market price based on decentralized exchanges. So my contribution to a given to a given micro community based on what I care about earns me something some type of associated token there that's valuable within it that I could potentially take somewhere else to a completely different thing and use there because of some what if we just open open exchange Great. rate associated with it right and and that that's I say that that's, that's far in the future but that's what we're building. That's, the, in my opinion, that's the goal: is that I contribute I that to whatever what I want to do, however I want to do it, and if it's valuable within the community that I'm contributing to, I can take that value and move it anywhere else and make it actionable in my real life. You can't do that now. Why don't we start it? How? Dead serious. Why don't we build something, a token? Our community can have it. And why don't we partner with other content creators in this space and we can take this token and trade membership or trade value and they can have value in their community that translates to value in that's, ours. I think that's the problem is that it takes a lot of time. Why don't we just start engineer. it? It takes, it takes a lot of time to engineer these things. Like, well, because we got nothing but time, man. We open the show with that's that. That's also, I guess, one of the cons of a lot of this, right? Is um, you set up a system with certain rules and based on those rules, you end up with like winners and losers. And the winners gain value in a lot of ways. And if you yeah. know, um, if that's not done properly, you can gain the system in such a way where like people who don't do any work or aren't doing quote unquote good in that community get all of the value and then take it elsewhere. And that's what we've seen. I think that's like, that's, Trying to think of an example of um, what that was. I think uh, 
LTB. LTB coin is a really wonderful example of this. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk Bitcoin. Um, initially started out with a coin in which as you listen to episodes in the network, you could, every episode would say, hey, here's the secret word. Go to the website, say the secret word for this episode, and we'll give you some coins. And then you can use these coins for monetary things. And then what happened was like people started gaming this and getting an absurd amount of coins with real real value because you could buy stuff with it. And like the, the, the value of the token meant nothing anymore because of the people who took advantage of the system. That's always going to happen if the rules allow for it because these are open permissionless systems. Mm -hmm. So like engineering these things is really, really, really hard. That's why it's like it's hard to get right. And that's why most things in the system in this whole ecosystem will fail. Yeah, um, I, I think. I think yeah, there's hard and there's easy, right? But the only difference between them is, is time. Easy things take a short amount of time to get done. Hard things take a longer time. I mean. I think there's value in what you're saying, and I think it's easy. I think it's easier to do than you think if we peel away the complexity. What do you mean, peel away the complexity? Dude, a complex machine is a combination of simple machines. Ain't no mystery in that. That's like science rule 101. I remember that shit from when I was nine years old. Anything that's complex is just a combination of simplicities. Anything. Sure. So those are what words. are those simplicities? Why don't we <laughs> isolate the simplicities and stop worrying about how complex it is? I mean, shit, we know how to make non-fungible tokens. We know how to talk to people. Why can't we get just a small community of content creators together and our value transfers to theirs? And we cross the bridge of uh-oh when we fucking get to it. Because I mean, that's how it starts, man. If the if the bridge of uh-oh, we're talking about money. This is money we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, shit karma or things you could reset because there's there's administrators who can handle that type of stuff. There is no, like, yeah, if man, there's an uh-oh, the system is fucked. Yeah, man, but we're talking about the risk takers here. We're the risk takers, Corey. We took the risk on Bitcoin, and now we get to talk about it and we have fun. We took the risk on Bitcoin because we, we felt like there weren't going to be any uh-hoes, right? Like, we felt like the system, as it was what? designed, was comfortable. Like, I was comfortable with the way Bitcoin was designed. And that, like, oh, as this grows, there's not going to be uh-ohs. Like, the chance of an uh-oh is so minuscule that I'm comfortable putting my money in this. ICOs. Uh we can we can we can argue we can argue about that one. <laughs> I mean I'm not gonna I'm gonna speak for myself then, but when I was initially into Bitcoin, I, my money was going places and Bitcoin was coming back, man, my booty hole was puckered. I don't know if it was I, I wish it was relaxed as yours was, but I was puckered. So Well I'd say that's the difference between me and you, is that I don't put my money on things that make my butt pucker. Well, I mean, the higher the risk, the higher the reward, my friend. That's just the way I, cookie I crumbles. Say someone that's what I'm Slack, saying. I want to say someone of the Slack had the, uh, what was it, the BPF? The butt puckering factor. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I want to say that. that was Joe. Might have been Wayne. It might have been Daniel. There's, I don't know. There's a few people there that could have said that. Um, why don't we move on to the episode or the, uh, the interview, and we'll pick this back up on that. Damn, this conversation was getting good, though. Um, Keep going. Just save it to the last part. 
you know that we really should do we really need a signature like alcoholic drink that's easily accessible that we can like just sip on while we're having these discussions yes yeah, so i was on. listening to i might have mentioned this in like you know episode 40 or something mm. a while back Hold up. oh come on dogs relax like you don't know your owner I might have mentioned this in episode 40 or so. Uh, there's a data science show that I used to listen to. I've, at this point, forgot what it's called um, because they don't they don't air anymore because all podcasts seem to just die off after a while. Uh, but they would list, they would each, each, at the beginning of the episode, they would talk about what they drank, what they were drinking in that episode right and Mm -hmm. i remember over time like what they were drinking was what people were sending them like they no longer like went out and bought drinks just like what they were drinking happened to be what people were sending them because of like the kind of kitsch that they had maybe we should do that Mm -hmm. to get free alcohol from people that's the that's the real ruse the long the long con We've spent almost 300 episodes to get mm-hmm. people to send us beer. Mm. I like it. I like, but we gotta like. Maybe there's good, accessible beer. I wouldn't mind just slow sipping something nice with a high alcoholic content while we have these discussions. But this is a terrible segue into our interview, <laughs> uh, or maybe it's not. No, hold on. I can reel this back. If we had some, you know, either some nice spirits or an ale to really unlock our conversations, kind of like how our next guest uh, is the founder of the Unlock Protocol. Uh, So what's the Unlock Protocol? You're about to fucking find out. Here it is. And hello. Everyone, uh, we're about to jump into another interview, a Bitcoin podcast interview. Um, and you know how we do. So we're going to jump straight into it today. Uh, we bring you Julian Genestu. Did I say? You oh, yes. Well. Said I got it right. <laughs> That's right. I'm cultured. I know how words go. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show, man. Uh, go ahead and tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself. And then tell us how you fell into crypto, and then we're gonna go in that into why you're here for from the unlock protocol. Yes. So yeah, nice to nice to meet you. Nice to uh, be on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Um, as you said, my name is Julien Jeunestou. I'm French, but I, I live in Brooklyn, New York, uh, for a couple of years now. Um, and the way I fell into crypto was actually a long time ago. My first, um, I got my first Bitcoin in the Bitcoins uh, in the in the winter of 2011, I guess, like um, March of 2011, uh, because one of my guys uh, at the time, uh, contractors on my previous company, did not want to be paid in dollars. He was uh, from Eastern Europe and was like, nope, dollars is the, uh, the money of the corporate empire. I'm not going to get that. Uh, and I want Bitcoin. And I called my uh, CPA at the time and said, hey, I need to pay this guy. He wants Bitcoin. I and love how like, you were just like, all right. <laughs> well, I mean, the guy's good, right? So yeah. I, had to, I had to do it, right? 
Um, and so I called my, my, my CPA and she tells me, no, don't touch this with a 10 foot pole. Uh, so I like, all right, fine, I'll do it myself. So basically <laughs> I paid myself with the dollars that um, I would have to wire him. And then I turned that into Bitcoin for him. I mean, luckily, uh, during that week or so, the price went up. So I was left with some uh, change that I kept over the years. Um, that's kind of like, oh, this is a fun thing to, to, to look at. So that's how I fell on the crypto <laughs> thing. I'm not even, I'm, I, actually, I'll tell you how I got these, uh, this Bitcoin. As you've guessed by now, I'm French. Uh, and uh, uh, at the time, there was only one single exchange, uh, famous exchange, I guess, uh, owned by this French guy out of Japan. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name. Yeah, uh, have at it. All right. Um, I'm blanking now. Malcox? Um, Mongox, yes. Uh, and mm. I emailed the guy and he's like, well, you're French, so you can do a wire transfer to my French bank account. Uh, and then I'll uh, send you the Bitcoin. Uh, I was like, all right, cool, I'll do that. Um, and so that's how I got my first Bitcoin from uh, literally the French founder of Mongox uh, at the time from his uh, Crédit Agricole bank account back in France. <laughs> Oh wow, that's a that's a story mm. most people don't have. It's yeah, I actually still do have the emails, which actually is pretty fun. Um, I don't, yeah, <laughs> so that's a that's a long shot from I'd say what you've what you've created at Unlock Protocol. Can you like how'd you how'd you move into that? Yeah, so so that was actually my first uh, foray into Bitcoin, and kind of the last for a couple of years. Uh, I'm coming from the web. I've been doing a lot of web stuff, open web stuff. I do have a bunch of W3 spec under my names. Sorry, specs under my name. Sorry. Uh, and I've been kind of an open web fan and advocate for the last um, 15, 20 years at this point. And I've been struggling with the idea that um, the web is more and more centralized. And one of the things that I realized over the years is it's centralized because its business model is centralizing, basically, because the fact that we use attention to monetize everything at this point is making, I mean, fewer and fewer companies, larger and larger, because they're able to kind of uh, benefit from network effects of having massive ad networks. Um, and basically they're capturing the traffic and the revenue from, from everything else. And so these companies, we all know Google, Facebook, and, and maybe Twitter as well. Um, and so when I was like, oh, this needs to change, we need to kind of put money back into the web in a way that is not just about attention. That's how Unlock came. Uh, I kind of realized that a lot of the stuff on the web is about membership, about communities. And I was like, oh, maybe we can tokenize these memberships so that people pay to be part of a group that can access specific features, specific content, specific uh, access to venues and stuff like this. And that's what Unlock is all about. And how does mm -hmm. it do that? So basically, we're using the Ethereum blockchain. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the Bitcoin podcast. You can say whatever uh, you want. I'm gonna. I'm, I work for Status. I'm very most of what I spend I my time on is on Ethereum. So it's. I know. I know. See uh, whatever you want. <laughs> that was that was kidding. Uh, basically, okay, so yeah, we're using <laughs> Ethereum. Uh, we're letting creators deploy what we call their uh, lock smart contracts. Uh, and uh, the lock smart contract is basically think of it an access control list. It's just a a dumb smart contract where if you want to be on the list, you have to send money and money be either Ether or any ERC-20 um, defined by the lock owner. Uh, you send the right amount, and then you get an access key, which is basically a mapping for the duration, for a certain duration, the duration that has been decided by the creator. So let's assume uh, you guys want to create a membership using a lock. You would say, all right, we'll charge maybe five die per month uh, to anyone who wants to be a member. And so to become a member, I'll send five die to the contract. I'll receive an NFT, a key that is valid a month from the time of that payment uh, that prove that I have access to the content. Um, with that key, I can then go to a website and I would be recognized as a member. And so I would serve specific content, specific features uh, that might be only for members. 
Um, and yeah, that's about it. So payable time-locked access keys and a smart contract. Pretty much, yes. And then it seems as though, I was reading your documentation today, um, the rest of it is what it looks like nice a nice UI for managing these things. Yes. it's uh, So there's, I mean, yes, a nice UI for managing these things from the creator's perspective, but also a nice UI to manage this from the consumer's perspective. Because one other thing that is pretty interesting about tokenizing this membership is that we can do a lot of fun stuff. Think about like your Hulu account after Game of Thrones is over, right? You're like, oh, fuck, I'm stuck with this thing that I'm not going to use that much anymore. What if I could sell it? You can't hmm. sell your 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 Netflix account at this point, or you will talk to me, Julian, talk to me. <laughs> However, you could definitely sell a token that gives you access to Hulu and say, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going to put it on a secondary market and say, Hey, somebody else access this instead of me. And so that's one thing that you can do once you've tokenized these memberships. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm trying to it think of like more than sense. for memberships, like it, memberships is a very broad term. This is just yes. access control to something. And the yep. membership or the community around this membership are the people who want to use that thing, whether it be a podcast, uh, Hulu, uh, software. A conference, yeah. because a ticket to a conference is a key to the conference, basically. A membership for the conference that's just like one day, two days, whatever the duration of the conference is. Are you trying to... <laughs> are you trying to hone down on a specific type of product or types of type of community um, initially? Uh, or are you just saying like, fuck it, this is generalized, let's go to town? Um, definitely that. Uh, at the same time, we know that we do focus on some very first key aspect key usages. Uh, and so we do have a bunch of conferences using Unlock to sell tickets, basically. So we a couple of weeks ago, there was this uh, Ethereum conference called ETH Watchaloo, a hackathon yeah. in Watchaloo. They were using Unlock for the tickets, basically. So people had to purchase a access key uh, for 20 die. Are um, they still doing that... Uh kickback yeah so that's so kickback is a is a similar system where i mean they were doing the staking thing and we actually did the staking thing as well where basically if you showed up you could get a refund uh on your ticket so that's a way to incentivize people to show up uh kickback doesn't have the nft aspects it doesn't necessarily have all of the stuff that unlock does but has other things like the refund uh, built in by default mm. The possibilities seem kind of endless when you really talk about how broad a membership is. Yes. Can you have so could we have like membership tiers? Yeah. Like three so different tiers. Yeah, you would create different locks. Basically, you'd say, "Hey, I've got the my gold members, and the gold members have a lock that or can purchase a key, and this one I only won't sell a hundred. So basically, you would limit the number of keys that could be sold, and you'd say each of those is like. I don't know, 100 die, 1,000 die, and they're valid for 10 years. And so these are like your, your truest fans in some way, right? And then you've got the silver lock, which would be like, all right, you get uh, access to some stuff for six months or whatever that is uh, at a different price. Um, and you could definitely kind of mix and match these and say, all right, you get more and more access based on how much you pay and these kind of things. Mm. These, cool these wheels are spinning. These wheels are spinning. Well, I, yes. I mean, I think people have been trying to. This is, in my opinion, the better way to do um, micropayments, access control, like or like or like build up. I've been trying to figure out ever since um, what's it, what was that the LTB coin uh, launched, and they basically every time you listen to a podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, um, every show had a had like a special word in it, and then you could you could then enter in that special word if you listen to the podcast to the website and redeem a specific amount of LTB coin to show like 
proof that you were participating in the community yeah. and you can use those coins for various things, but then ended up people gaming it and it, it, it was, it, it turned out terrible in terms of like the economics of how it worked out. And we had played around with the idea of like, you know, what, what, what would it be like to have a podcast coin? What would we do with it? How would it work? Um, how would people game it? How does its distribution work? So on and so forth. And it doesn't seem like for one, those are all hard questions to answer. Yep. And number two, there's not a lot of tooling and infrastructure to then make it integrate with other things, right? The access control yeah. part. Yeah. So we're definitely working on this. Basically, so as I, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, we do have, for example, a WordPress plugin that makes it easy for anyone who has a WordPress site to just uh, lock content on a post, on a page very easily, right? Uh, we're working with a bunch of other things, like we're trying to build a, a plugin for Shopify. So think of this, you have members and you have, say, swag on your Shopify store. Only your members could get a discount on hats or on t-shirts uh, from that Shopify store just because they're members. So rather than paying like 25 bucks, they'd pay like 20 uh, and then get like the t-shirt the or, the, or the hat. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, we're also working on creating uh, plugins for all of the chat platforms, like think of Telegram or, um, or, or even uh, stuff like WhatsApp uh, or Signal. Uh, the idea would be that you can only stay in the chat room or participate if you have a key to the member, if you're one of the member, a key to the lock, basically. Oh, my goodness. Things that you can reuse there. Um, obviously, there is a million endless possibilities. You want to do like at some point uh, a live show and you can say, hey, only the people that are member can show up for the live show. And that's very easy. The conference, we basically, you, people show their NFT on their phone uh, as a QR code and then they can come in because they have a valid key. If they don't, then they stay out and they can't attend uh, the live show. How's, what, That's juice. how's the uh, few things? One, this is making a hard bet that Ethereum is going to be the platform that enables kind of access to all of these things, right? So people are going to need some type of Web three based browser, um, yeah. which is which is has been in the past um, somewhat of like a Still user a experience bet. problem, right? It's hard for people yeah. to kind of get past those first couple of steps of getting the NFT. And getting yeah, Ether you know or why? die or whatever it is they need to pay for it. Yeah. You know why it's a hurdle? It's a pop-up. Yeah, no, and it's something that people have to MetaMask is a pop-up, and I've been trained since I was 11 years old to yeah, ignore the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like... So so, about 23 years of training to ignore MetaMask. All right, so and here's, here's an issue. Not a pop -up and here's a an issue with that, is that how do you get past that if you need to pay for something? Like, do you, want, do you have a pop-up if you want to pay for something or you just want it to just do it automatically and access your funds? Just use the same flow that we use now. Take me to, When I click the button on Amazon, it takes me to another URL. Yeah, so that's actually very good because we, we, we obviously worked on that because exactly like you said, like MetaMask, what percentage of people use that like very small right so maybe in the crypto space a bit more but in practice very very few people so we created what we call user accounts which are think of this like managed i mean uh, crypto accounts where basically with an email and password you create you don't know that it's happening but a private key is created for you encrypted on the front end with your password stored on our back end um in an encrypted way so we can't access it and that identity is not some place where you put money in it but it acts literally as your identity it's like an address then what we do is we ask you to pay us with your credit card. So you pay Unlock Inc. with your credit card, and then we do the transaction on chain on your behalf. So we purchase the NFT. So we purchase the NFT for the user that doesn't have or doesn't care about crypto because we have their address. So we say, hey, this NFT is going to be for 0x ABC, and then now it's attached to that user's wallet without the user having to 
care about ether, gas, dye, or any of these things, basically. Hmm. Does and that, that make sense? Is like you have like a like a corresponding mobile app where they can look these things up. So right now it's just a web app, uh, and that works on mobile uh, in practice. Yeah. Uh, maybe at some point there's going to be a mobile app, yes, that will be similar to. We call this a keychain in practice. That's because it's where all of your keys it's key management. are. It's just you're doing yeah. it. You're doing. You're, it's it's custodial key management. It's it's actually not custodial because uh, it's password. I mean, we don't actually access your private keys in any way. But that's where all of your memberships are. So there's actually a page where you can go and you can see all of these memberships, and you can imagine things like, oh, I've got this uh, New York Times membership. I don't want it anymore. I'm going to swap it for Washington Post so I can read that article now. Uh, or I'm going to better than swap it. I'm going to get rid of, I'm going to sell back, say, an hour of New York Times to purchase 10 seconds or 10 minutes of Washington Post, whatever the exchange rate is at some point for these, uh, so that I can read that specific article that is paywalled and that I cannot access because I'm not a member of the Washington Post. The obvious question here, I think, based on what you just said, is, What's in it for the publishers? Uh, no. Well, that's that's that's, that's coming sh for sure. All right, but all right. uh you said exchange rate, which which usually you know insinuates some type yeah. of market. Um, yep. Assuming these things get big, what are you planning on building a market or participating in other NFT markets and then integrating we, that into Unlock? So it already works with say OpenSea. So you can actually, if you have a key to a membership, you can already go to OpenSea and then sell it there basically. So that's kind of integrated in the thing. We don't think we're going to build the market ourselves. However, we might, and I think that's the goal, uh, implement stuff like 0x and other kind of um, technologies to make sure that it's easy to exchange these things and then people will build markets. We do think though that we might be kind of uh, market makers like making liquidity where we would purchase memberships for things and then we'll sell them in short, in smaller bits. Uh, so as okay. I said, like you purchase like a month long access to New York Times and then we'll sell like day long obviously at more than a 30th of the price. Uh, the idea is that that's how we can make money. Mm. Think the Blockbuster right model. I know Blockbuster is dead, but like if you think about like 25 years ago, like they're bu buying DVDs and then renting the same DVD 50 times. And that's how they amortize their, their acquisition cost. We want to do the same thing with like online memberships. Damn, I pay $15 a month for five people to watch Netflix. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I don't know that you can do that. <laughs> and I don't even watch that shit. Like, every time I get on there, I'm like, why is my friend's son having an account on my Netflix? What am I doing? It's with poor my password life? management. That's what you asked me. Yeah, that's the yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to I want to use the unlock and have somebody pay that. So here's the me. question. Um, what, 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 what you mentioned, what's in it for publishers? So two things. First, um, their conversion rate are abysmally small. Like maybe not Netflix. Obviously, it's pretty high. But like think of it like the paywalls in New York Times, the Washington Post. Pay New York Times is the best in the in the, in, the, in the class, right? They have about five million subscribers at this point uh, out of a hundred multi-unique, hundred million multi-unique. So basically, it's about five percent conversion rate. Very very small. And the reason why it's so small is because it's actually a pain to sign up for every single website and put your credit card in there. There's actually a theory that says that. New York Times might actually be cannibalizing everybody else's subscription because people feel bad about not having subscription. They just subscribe to the most popular one, which is the New York Times, rather than subscribe to anything else. So in practice, conversion sucks. So people by making feel it, that way? <laughs> yeah, apparently people do that, which is weird. Okay. Uh, but 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 I, I, yeah. Uh, 
I do think that for, for, for starters, uh, the idea of having kind of a shared infrastructure across the web for these membership will increase conversion rate. Because now it's, think of it like the App Store, right? Before the App Store, it was a pain to install apps even on your computer. Now that you have the App Store, the same object everywhere on there, you look for any kind of app, you go there, you look for it, you find it, and then you purchase it. The conversion rate is much, much higher there. So that's the first thing, like decreasing friction. Obviously, we're not the only one working this. If you think about like Apple Pay, Google Pay, Amazon, and their Prime stuff, are all trying to court publishers. Uh, Apple has this thing called Apple News Plus, which is all about kind of allowing you to purchase uh, through your Apple account uh, subscription to different things uh, without having to care very much about uh, the, the details of each individual subscriptions. So that's the first thing, reducing friction. The second one I think is even more interesting. We want to help creators monetize that secondary market. So let's let's go back to the example of like I've got a month long subscription and I'll give you one day. The publisher could say, hey, sure, you'll give you'll give you'll give uh, Demetric one day, but if you do so, we want to also we want you also uh, we want you to also give us half a day. So basically, now to give you one day, Demetric, I need to give them back half a day, and basically, I'm giving them back value if I want to give some value to you. Does that make sense? Mm. So it's a way that they can, in some way, monetize that secondary market. So what you're saying is you're going to lose that subscription fee anyway from this other person. Yep. Might as well get a little bit of something instead of zero. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the fact is, if you are not a subscriber yet, you might not have been a subscriber at all. So they're kind of incentivizing me to share the content, like saying, hey, Julian, uh, looks like you know a bunch of people that want to read some content there. Why don't you give them links uh, with some of your membership because you want them to read this or because you think it's interesting? And if you do so, we'll, we'll basically, I mean, we'll take you a little bit of that membership and that's a way for me to make money. So I'll hmm. send like my $10 a month thing, I'll sell one day for $1. Uh, so basically, like I'm, it. it's a lot more money than the $10 that I would make on the month. But they can capture a little bit of that by taking some time off of my membership as well. Yeah, I've always, I've always wondered about that because a, a very important part about growing communities is evangelizing like, yes. from your community members. Like You need to find a way to get people to curate the information that you're putting yes. out. Yep. Um, and that's a very difficult thing to do. And your biggest believers are probably the best person to do that. The, the people that are your members that have subscribed to you or become member for the long term are probably the best people to evangelize more people to join you. Let's say this gets huge, right? Um, this this model of how you're building things and building communities and and then moving money around these communities gets large. Um, what type of society, societal changes do you see with people operating this way? Is there a certain type of like behavior that you think would go away um, yeah. that you don't like about the way things currently run? Yeah, I do think that we're completely wrong to monetize attention. Uh, and that's kind of how everything on on the web, at least, and, and maybe on, on a lot of software is now being monetized through. Um, there is obviously all of the stuff around privacy and user data being leaking. Uh, across every website that has a bunch of ads. So that's bad. But worse than this, I'd say the incentives are misaligned. Basically, creators in many cases tend to create content not for consumers, but for some advertisers to sh show ads to these consumers. And I think this is backwards. And that's actually what led us to all of the you know, information overload initially, clickbait, fake news, all of these things are all about pop -ups. gathering or grabbing more and more pop-ups. Yeah, exactly. Uh, getting more and more attention, basically. It's like, if I'm sitting in your face, then you're going to see me. And if we stop optimizing for attention stealing, I think we can become a much healthier society in general. 
mm-hmm. kind of a byproduct of the way that like the web works now is that um, it's very difficult to find quality information. Surfacing, yes. secu- the curation process is skewed towards um, clickbait, right? Yeah, because the, the, exactly the, the basically the crappy stuff, the one that's the stuff that is the most uh, attention grabbing, will be more financially rewarding, which is weird. Hmm. My mind's spinning on all of this. He's, it feels he's, like he's like thinking of all really the things you can maybe do. <laughs> yeah, I like that the the operative word is maybe. Like that's the <laughs> well, it's, it's it's. I mean, I don't want to spend time doing something that we're not going to use for the long time. But there's obviously potential here, right? Like everyone can find a, find an idea of if if they're content creators, right? Of how they could get their communities to do it right next. So right now we have a group of about, I don't know, 700 people around that in Slack. Um, and I don't know how many patrons we have at the top of my head, you know, hundreds or more somewhere between hundred and 200, I think could be way off on that. No idea. Um, how do you convert them? How do you like, all right, I know you just signed up for all this stuff. Uh, now do this. So I do think one of the important aspects of membership is that it goes both ways. Not only you give me access to something, but now in my wallet, I do have my card that shows that I'm a member to that thing. So I'm not from the US. Uh, A lot of people tell me about country clubs. Apparently, this is a big thing here. People are like very proud to be part of the club XYZ or think about fraternities or like- Who do you hang out with? (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to know. But yeah, apparently, but think of this like, people are very proud to show their affiliation like on their on their card they put stickers of like i'm like uh i mean whatever i love like, my doberman pitcher uh, yeah or i love my <laughs> school or i love my yeah. this or my kid is in that and it's kind of and so i do think that part of the membership is actually very important to give uh an nft to people and say hey this thing is going to sit in your wallet and every day you're going to be re- reminded that you're like part of this group part of this community and that's actually one way to convert i think um, that is completely underestimated like i can't see what's your on your t-shirt but like we I, I actually don't have brands today but <laughs> my shoes have brands right or like and this is a way to show membership in some way like it's a i'm part of the the nike or the reebok or the other whatever other uh, adidas crowd because my shoes have their sign right yeah. Um, sure. my, 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 I'm, I'm going to try to do something crazy here, but my laptop has a, as an, a, a sticker for my company, uh, instead of the Apple, uh, but Apple putting the Apple there is a pretty explicit thing to make sure that you're part of the Apple crowd because you've got this, uh, shiny Apple on the back of your laptop. Right. Um, so what happens when people, uh, lose access to their keys. Uh, I know so like, that's one of the, ephemeral, like one people of the... are, people are kind of very ephemeral with their, with their wallet keys. I have, um, yeah a lot of different accounts with different Ethereum accounts. And I don't know, I'm not necessarily wanting to attach my identity to that account and show it off. So like one, like I think maybe at least in the, in the Ethereum world, because we tend to gather around um, single accounts for multi, for different purposes. Um, it's, it's, it's okay to do this, right? Cause you'll have somewhat of an identity account that you can attach social things to. And this is where an yep. NFT like this would be really, really, really useful. Uh, As a part of your process or part of the the process of subscribing to things include um, graphics? Like, like, can it show, can the NFT show somewhere in a wallet? Yeah. Like our logo? I mean, it does. Uh, I think Trust actually has this. Like you do get, you guys support uh, NFTs uh, in the wallet. And uh, let me check. Uh, I do actually have my NFTs show up uh, on my Trust wallet. 
pretty well. Uh, and so you can see my, I mean, literally in my wallet. Yeah. Um, so we did, uh, we did, uh, let me actually show you another one. Uh, I support my own blog. Uh, and so I don't know if you can see this, but that <laughs> NFT is uh, right. an NFT to my own blog. Uh, and it's actually, because uh, you, you can see, you can see people coming up with like dashboards on this, right? To like, yep. you know, my personal page or something like that, people go to, and yep. it, it shows the types of things that they belong to. And then the NFTs would be proof of that, right? Yeah. Uh, over the summer, uh, Evan Vaness, uh, doing this popular uh, Ethereum newsletter, uh, created a lock, put it on his newsletter for his anniversary, and then did a bunch of uh, annotated edition. And it was through an NFT. And you can see the NFT here. And it's actually in my, my trust wallet. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it. And, yeah. I think the user interface is what kills it with this because there's a lot of people trying to do something similar to this, but you make it pretty straightforward and easy to use for people. And I think that's that, that's literally yeah, that's literally our goal is to make it easy for even people who don't care about crypto because we do think yeah. that's actually the way these people can become crypto users. It's like, I mean, I'm I'm sure all of the uh, gamblers and the uh, wannabe investors uh, are already there in crypto land at this point. I don't know anyone who say, oh, I'm gonna like trade crypto who doesn't already use crypto now the next crowd is people who actually don't care very much about these kind of uh financial uh trades and and kind of betting on the appreciation of the tokens to use crypto how do we do that well we find ways to make it easy for them to use crypto for stuff that they're familiar with and i do think that membership is something that we're seeing more and more up online and we can definitely build that very easily with crypto mm. well speaking my language man yeah, <laughs> been thinking a lot about. I've been thinking a lot about lately, in particular, about how to build communities and incentivize them in such a way where they like interact the way they normally would in real life and exchange value the no way they normally would in real life, and and you know, show off social statuses, things yes. like that. And and this is and, and these types of things are key to enabling that. Like right now, yes. what we've tried to do beforehand with just information and fake reputation on the internet has led to very odd behavior that isn't very human in my opinion. Agreed. Not only is it not very human, but it's also kind of uh, leveraging kind of flaws in the human brains, I'd say. Like yeah. our ability to what dopamine I, hits. I, <laughs> yes, exactly. And mm -hmm. it's kind of abusing this and it's, it's a, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously not a philosopher or anything like this, but the one thing that I've, that is Pretty clear to me is like over thousands of years, uh, we've got more. We had more and more attention. Like basically, when when we were naked in the in the in the mountains and trying to hunt for food, there was literally no time to think about anything but finding food, right? And we made progress, and then we were able now to kind of grow plants and agriculture is a way to kind of free up some time so that you actually do can do other things, and that's how you end up with like uh, the beginning of religion and things, things, these things that are kind of an artifact of the fact that you have now more time to do something else. Uh, you could imagine that over the years, we became more and more productive, uh, so much so that we actually don't work as much as our ancestors. We actually have weekends, two days a week, uh, where we don't work. Uh, and obviously, we don't starve uh, during these two days. And so we're, we, the story of human progress has been all about finding time and being available and having attention that is kind of given back to us. And I feel like the web is completely going backward in that regard. It's like it's actually stealing as much time as possible from us because there's an incentive, I mean, an economic incentive to do so. And if we could find a way to support all of these creators without having to waste so much time 
uh, I think it'll be much better off. I agree. Well, I don't have much more, but we do have a closing question we'd like to ask all of our guests. Of course. Are you ready for it? I am. In 10 words or less, can you describe Ethereum? programmable money with an incentive on programmable for me uh, or incentive with a, a kind of a an accent and uh, how do you call this an accent on programmable emphasis, yeah. emphasis that's, that's the word they're looking for that's another one programmable yeah. money with an emphasis on programmable yes six words keeping it low and giving four words to the next person Bitcoin <laughs> no it doesn't work that program. way use it or lose it alright it's gone uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I look forward to this. I want to. I want to try it out. I want to see um, how it could work. And it's, it's, like, this makes me more excited than building a cryptocurrency. Right? This is this is way more interesting to me than Practical, having yeah. than like having a token distribution of fungible tokens for something of like community participation. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense either. This makes much more sense in terms of a, this is a token of membership, which you can then pass around or use for various things in which um, participating in a community is something you can do. And like the programmability of that participation, I think is what gets it. And we're back. We hope you enjoyed that interview uh, with Julian from the Unlock Protocol. Um. I was so enamored by that project, I could barely ask any questions. Yeah, you were like uh, I, dead to the world because you were trying to figure out how we're how many use, schemes I could come I mean, up with schemes we could use. Because, like, like I said in the podcast, right? I said in that interview, like we've thought about making um, a token for the network. It never worked out properly, but like the way that he's created that, there seems to be better ways in which we can monetize what we do. I mean, even even if it's just like, take Patreon, move it over to Unlock. And I think that might be what we end up doing, right? I would love to do that. Because like, I want, like, we're a crypto forward podcast. Why don't we use crypto? And I don't want to use other things. I want to use the infrastructure appropriate for the analogs of what Patreon is and force people to start getting their hands on these things and using them so they're useful. And if they suck, we tell them why they suck and they hopefully get better. Yeah. I mean, I think that's 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 the missing piece is that for us, I, I can say this is that over the years as, you know, we've, you know, done what we've done and changed so many times, I feel like, and we keep going. I like the idea of kind of crossing that threshold of yo like let's put crypto forward with what we do and start using this stuff more i really would like to there's no way we could have done that when we started no we had no fucking clue what we were doing we could barely keep well, echo not even that, that. like it wasn't even that like even if we knew what we were doing the infrastructure that existed would have made us <laughs> nothing. Like I know, I know Bitcoin and Censored tried a lot, right? I mean, they were on all of the platforms, streaming, doing all kinds of things. And where where is he now? Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't like it didn't help his podcast to try and adopt a lot of things. Why well, I appreciate that he did it. Like 
the, the technology wasn't there. And we've been saying this all along. The technology wasn't there to allow regular users who want users who want to consume our material to participate and, and use this type of shit. Mm-hmm. Unlock might yeah, be a step saying. in the right direction, but there's going to be barriers. Like I guarantee every, anytime we take a step and say, all right, we're doing this now, we're going to start using this particular platform or program to give this particular access to whatever the hell we're doing. People will bitch. People will not know how to use it. It's going to be a nightmare. And it, it, it may be semi-successful, but we'll lose a, co- a cohort of our users in the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. Because the technology is not as easy to use as regular like web technology. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was probably it. But I think unlock protocol is something we should actually unlock. Uh, pun intended. So... <laughs> That was stupid. Uh, we got another topic that I wanted to talk, talk about because uh, this was going to get heated. It always does. I feel like we come to this topic at least once every other month. At least. At this point, it's been like a six times a year kind of Maybe I'm a contrarian debate. now. Like this, I'm, I'm starting to become a contrarian. Yeah, we're, we're, we're mutual contrarians. right? You're Peter Pan and I'm Captain Hook. For obvious reasons, I don't, except for I don't. Is Peter Pan a contrarian? Well, he's not a contrarian, but he's a he's a smaller white person. <laughs> Captain Hook and ain't a bigger black dude. He's not, but he's taller. <laughs> well, I'm not taller than you. Well, he's that got black hair. Sense, he's got black hair. We got that going for us. Yeah, he's got black hair. So there we go. <laughs> Anyways, here's the question that we asked. You asked. And then I stopped our conversation before it got too good to not record. Uh, or, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. And then the question is, like, can Bitcoin handle Can Bitcoin handle the real world? BTC, no. Bitcoin. No. I say no. I say yes. I say hard no. Um, the reason I say yes is because everyone keeps forgetting that like everyone says that Bitcoin there's no development that happens on Bitcoin and it is what it is uh, but I just it needs time to soak into society like it still needs time this stuff is so young and one we literally almost got into a red versus blue infinity war over how we're going to scale. And we got really, really excited about this one opportunity that is now in the wild and actually making progress at a pretty good pace. And people are doing things that Bitcoin couldn't do before with it. And that is called the Lightning Network. And it's doing what it was designed to do better and better on a month over month basis there's there's it's very clunky i get that but so was fucking prodigy in aol.com at times like i think so so let's visa visa level transactions that's what we were going for that's the argument right 
Well, the average credit card transaction is anywhere between $30 and $45. Right? The average person does... The average person in Western Civ, uh, they're going to do three to five transactions a day. Everyone else is doing five transactions a week. Um, so if you take into account that average transaction size and take into account that transaction velocity, um, the Lightning Network is quickly approaching a time where it can handle that. Very clunkily, but it can handle that. So why in the hell... After four years of fighting, can we not understand that the thing we designed to do the thing it was supposed to do is doing the thing it's supposed to do? Why are we still fighting over the fact that we can't put crypto kitties on it? It's limited. To me, it seems, it seems rather it's incredibly stupid. It's, it's designed to be limited for small transactions. That's the whole fucking reason we made it. Hey, do you have a, do you have a lightning wallet? I had one on my desktop. I can get one right now. There's can you? Fucking zap, I've zap seen, wallet. I've seen, it I've runs seen. on an iPhone. I've seen multiple instances of people trying to start lightning wallets with like, I don't know, 15 steps to get there. It's it's not as easy as what you would like it to be. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean it can't be, but the Bitcoin network is incredibly limited. And I don't think it can handle the scale of what finance wants to do with it okay so to and that so like, end and it, what lightning network is supposed to do is to offload a specific type of interaction between humans to a different network and that's basically smaller payments right mm -hmm. lightning network is for is for things that aren't that important you can stream payments they're smaller payments it's cheaper you can do them quicker so on and so forth and so you're relegated you're, you're getting rid of a little bit of trust to use the lightning network if you can but you still have the option to use the bitcoin network if you want to but nothing is happening on the bitcoin network nothing we, we, we hear a lot there's a tremendous amount of things that we hear about what do you in mean when you say nothing? Because I'm pretty sure it still has a pretty high transaction volume. I'm talking about innovation. The, like where the protocol is now and where it could potentially go. We hear about snore mm -hmm. signatures. We hear about taproot. We hear about all kinds of things. But more often than not, we hear about these things in terms of awesome protocol developments with no real timeline in terms of when they're actually going to get implemented. No real idea of how they're going to get implemented in terms of social consensus around doing it. And so we end up pushing a lot of that um, functionality to side chains like Liquid. And so, yeah, and so like, is, is that what we want? We want to just say, all right, here's all this cool shit. Let's, uh, we're actually going to do it on the chain that's the most secure and stable and backed by actual miners. We're going to put it on the side chain because um, it's better that way. Mm -hmm. like, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see anything happening on the main chain. I don't see any discussion about things happening on the main chain or how it's going to actually get there or when it's going to get there or any social consensus around it. In fact, I hate to say it, because I hated the way this chain was created, Bitcoin Cash is doing more in terms of innovation on the protocol level 
than Bitcoin is by far. I don't want to say those words because I don't like the way Bitcoin Cash was created, but they're doing things and trying things. And the, in okay. my opinion, in my opinion, I want to say this out loud, where we are now as an entirety of a community between all of the chains that exist is so incredibly small that if you're not innovating, you're basically dead. There's, there is no future of the way Bitcoin exists right now, 15 years from now. Yeah, that's just not right. I hate to break it to you, but it's you just not so? right. You think and you think people 15 years from now are going to be using Bitcoin the way it exists today? No, they're going to be using Bitcoin way differently. They're going to be using the other things built on top around to the side of it way differently as well. But Bitcoin's not going anywhere. Not anytime soon. There's way too much money invested in its longevity at this point. So I disagree. I think that's just what people say to make themselves what you, feel better. What you, what you just said is like saying that just... just so what you just said about all the stuff being on the main chain is like saying that we still expect an automobile to be pulled by all of the torque of the drive shaft. And we know we don't do that anymore. That's like saying a big giant clock is powered by the torque of one gear. You know what's cool, about, you know what's cool about the innovation you're talking about? Is that a company with decision-making power was capable of doing that. They were capable of saying, this is how we're going to progress in the future. Bitcoin does not have that decision-making power. Yeah, but when there's many companies that are operating to do the same thing, you get what you get with the automobile. There's lots of automobile companies, man, and there's lots of people that work for them. They just think as one. Or they try to, anyways. And we can't, like, just guise the fact that companies aren't going to try to use an open protocol to become a good company. If I were, if I were an open, if I were a company entering this entering this world of trying to do something creative, I don't know why I'd choose Bitcoin to do it. Yeah, but Bitcoin based on how it works, like that's the thing about Bitcoin is like there's there's not too much creativity about it, man. Like like you, that's what I'm saying is like Bitcoin may have lost its luster with um the developers and the people that are creative and innovative and curious and want these new and cool and unique things but bitcoin has gained the attention of the very people that we were courting slash not courting for nearly a decade it's finance man it's money it's in that realm now oh and that's where it was designed to be I'm going to go ahead and argue with that one because I'd say the yeah, finance, there's DeFi, but that's got nothing folks, to do with where Bitcoin is. Their boners exist for what's happening on Ethereum. I mean, that's cool. That's very cool. Because they but, can do things that are complicated. Because like, let's, let's look at what previously happened and like what the, how the finance industry works. They make overcomplicated things that probably end up giving them extra power. And they make it so complicated that people don't understand it like don't worry about it we'll take care of it for you and then take advantage of that power like if 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 you were coming with that mindset of this is how i make money and do finance you're going to go to ethereum because you have more capability to make something that's more complicated okay that's nothing you can do on bitcoin to do that that's a functionality of a financial product if you have a hundred thousand dollars right now how's your portfolio look percentage wise if you were only allowed to invest in cryptocurrencies 
What's well, going to be the lion's share? What's going to be the lion's share if I give you $100,000 and you're going to put that money on different cryptocurrencies that exist today? What's going to be the lion's share? And here's the caveat. You're assuring the longevity of that wealth and you want it to grow gradually over time. Which one is going to be the lion's share of your portfolio? Are you talking about what I would say or what conventional wisdom would say in terms of in this space? Like conventional wisdom. People are going to put it on Bitcoin. Boom. Done. Argument over. That right there, that sentiment is repeated by orders of magnitude more people than when put it on Ethereum. Do you, so That's you think, it. This argument okay, is like, done. So your, so your argument is because everyone else is doing it, it's going to be successful. Boom. That's how markets work, bro. I don't, like, I, don't I don't give a shit about whatever they want to do. I don't know how to tell like, you that any differently. I'm like, telling you, how it works. technically, it's not going to work. I'm telling you that markets don't give a fuck about technicals. Well, markets care about emotions and they then measure I, it. Then I guess that I guess we could agree to disagree. I I think people are. There's gonna a million people sitting around. There's a million people sitting around right now with a fucking purple and pink Furby doll and thinking like, why do we ever buy that fucking thing? What were we thinking? You can't oh, yeah. do anything. Everyone else, There's nothing you everyone, can do. Everyone else was buying a Furby, so I went and I bought one too. And my kid loved it. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, right? so Bitcoin is the new Furby. Fur- Bitcoin is the new Furby. That's what we've come down to. Awesome. I'm glad we've innovated no. technology so well. Is that we've made a digital Furby. You I'm can't fucking do anything with it. I'm just saying that for the way that you're passionate about cryptocurrency, it doesn't align with what Bitcoin has become. But for the way, but the things that Bitcoin can now become for people, Bitcoin's not going anywhere. And that's the way it's going to be because Stone Cold said so. (laughs) So Bitcoin can be ready for the world. Now, is it going to go to the main chain? Probably not. But did we not have like 30,000 episodes explaining that the Lightning Network was built on the same fucking protocol that Bitcoin is? This is moving little pieces of Bitcoin around or moving like it's the same damn shit. So what's the big fuss? Like, there's, do we well, not, there's, do we not right? have... there's trade-offs. It's, it's the way Lightning works is there's trade-offs in which you make in the process of using the Lightning Network. You are, you are literally trading Bitcoin. There's no getting around that. Like Boom, it's not done. it's not a, a different asset, but it has different security around it. Yeah, but those are technicalities that if you just make it do enough and make it convenient, I'm gonna make it do nobody's what it do, gonna baby. give a damn. Yeah. I'm gonna make it do what it do. I got a warm. That's my Ray Charles impression. Uh yeah, you're right. I, I mean it's I'm make it do it. I think we're both right. We're both very solidly right. Bitcoin is so fucking also, boring. Also, I, like, you know I, guess we're, I guess we're both in the camp. Do you believe there's going to be one? Is, is there one chain to rule them all? No. That's just foolish. No. It's a foolish thing to say. It's a, in my opinion, it's a foolish thing to say. It's very foolish. Um, uh, there is one thing, though. Um, you've seen the Bitcoin white paper, right? You fucking serious? You ever seen the Bitcoin white paper on weed, man? <laughs> Have you ever, no, I'm kidding. The only reason I said that is because uh, 
Bitcoin is boring. And then I thought in my head, like, fucking dollar bills are boring. And then I immediately went to, but I've ever seen the bag of dollar bill on weed. Like, <laughs> that's where my brain took me. Um, I think we're both right. Like, Bitcoin is boring now, man. It's it's so boring that it's getting billions of dollars of investment money every year. Yeah, but and there's nothing take, a, take, take, can... take steps back. Multiple steps back. All right. Two and steps this time. Yeah. Two steps this time. <laughs> and you look at the entirety of this ecosystem in terms of how well everything works. It's mm-hmm. all garbage. Like, we've made innovations. We've potentially changed how part of the internet works. That does not sound good. My dog's doing something. Anyway, it doesn't work well. It's not good enough. No, no. Nothing that works today is good enough. Yeah, but you and know so, that like, because you we can't, in this. We, we can't pretend that the world will work on what we've built today. Something has to change. The way in which it works has to change while maintaining the same principles in which it in which it works bitcoin isn't doing that that's my problem that's my main that's my main problem say that again cuz i blanked out all right sorry bitcoin was built on really solid principles the way it works why it works who it serves where power gets distributed across the whole whole system awesome it's inefficient it can't scale to the size it needs to scale to to serve the world while maintaining the same principles it has to change whatever whatever becomes the technology that we all care about that does all the things that we got excited about when we joined this space has to change from what we're doing now. Bitcoin isn't changing. That's my problem. We can't build on top of it. Building on top of it isn't going to work. The base layer has to change. And we have to build on top of it. And if those things don't, if those things don't happen, then when we say blockchain is the future, we're not going to be calling it Bitcoin. We got to change ourselves, Corey. Don't you see how the story ends, bro? Didn't you watch Never Ending Story? No I'm kidding. I don't I'm know. Where you. Came I'm really worried about what my dogs are doing. I'm by not, the way. not gonna lie to you. I cried when that horse died. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap cried it up. My, I got my dogs are like eating that. something in my living room, and I have to figure out what it is. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our bi-monthly debate on uh, whether Bitcoin sucks or not. Um, we can't believe it's come to that after the way we started this podcast, but that's how <laughs> things happen, I it guess. Time. Suck. It's just not going to suck later on down the line. Yeah, time changes things. Um, if you like this podcast, subscribe. If you, you Give it a thumbs up. Tell your mom. Tell your auntie. Don't tell um, your cousin... Uh, Rex, don't tell them. Don't tell cousin Rex. Uh, if you have an issue with what I've said, tell me why. Hit us up on Twitter. There's a discuss post attached to the link 
of this podcast. You only know what disgust to. is. Whatever. There's a there's a thing you can fucking talk to people on attached to this link where you're listening to it. Go to that and tell mm. me why I'm wrong. Tell me why D's wrong. Say something. Because if you don't say yeah, something, man. then no one will. And we'll never get our micro community. And that's what we want. We want a micro community. So um what else do we fucking do? We listen I listened to Careless Whisper about twenty times this week. Who? Dude, we talked about Careless Whisper last week, George Michaels. Oh, never gonna yeah? dance again. That? I can't get out of it because I've been watching a show called Watchmen on HBO, which Guilty I don't quite understand. Feet have got no rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> did you fucking? Why did you think it was Guilty Feet? I still hear Guilty Feet, bro. I still hear it to oh, this day. Man. I that, can't. I told Aaron about that, because my wife, it, and she just lost her shit. Because it makes sense, bro. You're guilty of the, the things that you did wrong in the relationship that's not over, so you can't even dance anymore. And relationships are a dance. A really good dance. So that's why I thought that. It made sense in my head for all those years. Anyways, Watchmen has like an acoustic version of it in one of his recent episodes, and I was like, oh, now I gotta go listen to it over and over and over again. Um, what else do we do? Uh, we got a store. Shop uh, dot the Bitcoin podcast.com it's store. Uh, it's store, store get, the bitcoin podcast it is store it is store that's uh that's a big mess up on my part right marketing right store.thebitcoinpodcast.com uh you can get a look at our vintage cover where uh one of the past founders is on there sure is. uh shout out um which by the way just uh no reason shout out Bedroom Beethoven's is a podcast you probably should be tuned into if you're a hip hop enthusiast. For real, cello, uh, cello has left this podcast and made an outstanding podcast about hip hop. Yeah, it's really good. You should listen it's, to it. It's really good. Bedroom Beethoven's, um, go listen to it. Go subscribe to it. It's the bomb. Um, what else do we have going? Um, you know. Go to the website, thebitcoinpodcast.com. Click on all them shits. Lots of buttons in there. <laughs> Go to town. Uh, shout out to uh, Zassi Beats um, and r slash gone wild. Play. <laughs> Play the outro.